from the Times of Northwest Indiana and nwi.com slash podcasts, you're listening to Byline, the podcast about the newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Kale Wilk, and this week Byline examines Northwest Indiana's history, recent and long ago, of public corruption. We'll talk with reporters tracking public officials' actions. It's it's the reason we're here. It's it's to call these things out and to uh, to tell the public what what we think ought to be happening here. And we'll talk with leaders teaching the lessons of ethics. And the and the thing that we decided we could do and should do before people holding to a, uh, holding people to an ethical standard, we ought to train them. We ought to give them some precise training on what was expected. You know, it's it hasn't gone away, and we haven't we haven't killed it off. But there's still there's always seems to be a need in Lake County, and in Northwest Indiana to uh, to focus on these things, to put a spotlight on them, and hopefully help to clean it up a little bit. Once again, Byline called in Bill Dolan and Mark Chase for an interview. Bill is a courts reporter, and Mark is the opinion editor. We'll go ahead and start from there and just jump right in. A while ago, back in November. Something happened that Bill and Mark have followed in their respective roles, meaning Bill has reported on and Mark has written columns or guided editorials on it. Joyce Russell has also reported here and there on the topics too. It's important to clarify a little bit on what that means for Bill and Mark. As a courts reporter, Bill tracks current and sometimes past accused or convicted criminals as they go through the courts in Lake County. Mark, on the other hand, as an opinion editor, is one of the few people at the Times given the ability to write opinions in the newspaper, a rare and accepted brief divergence from our pledge to remain impartial. He does a weekly column that usually focuses on some aspect of the community. He also usually composes the Times' editorials, which represent the collective opinion of the editorial board. That's made up of the publisher, the editor-in-chief, and a few key editors. With that in mind, let's return again to this occurrence from last November. And it all starts with an odd thing that Bill noticed one day. I happened to be at the government center to cover a uh, Lake County Council meeting, suspecting nothing, when somebody showed me a picture uh, on their cell phone of a uh, FBI truck parked outside the sheriff's department, which was not more than maybe 300 feet away from where I was sitting. So I got my took us over to the sheriff's department, and sure shooting, there it was. Uh, And the the building seemed to be unoccupied except for state police and FBI, who weren't talking. So I immediately started back through the government center, grabbing everybody I could find and asking what the heck's going on. And eventually I pieced together uh, the story that the FBI had raided the sheriff's department and were looking for information on towing contracts. The, the suspicion is, and uh, we, we found out later uh, by the U.S. attorney, is that uh, towing companies were paying campaign contributions and bribes to get that kind of work. And something happened in Porter County, too, specifically in Portage. Uh, at a uh, auto uh, towing company in the city of Portage. And uh, 
with with the same mission of of getting towing uh, records. And agents were simultaneously at Sheriff John Bunsich's house at the same time too that they were raiding the government center. Mm -hmm. We don't know what they took from there, but we may find out in some future date. Indeed, what happened was that the FBI descended on two locations in Northwest Indiana. The first, as Bill said, was the Lake County Sheriff's Office. Sheriff John Bunsich was accused of allegedly accepting bribes from towing firms in the form of cash and campaign contributions. Not only is Bunsich the Lake County Sheriff, but he's also the head of Lake County's Democratic Party. As Bill has noted in his reporting, towing cars can prove to be quite lucrative, especially if you've got a large portion of the towing operations. At the time Bill was first reporting this, Lake County had collected over $160,000 in towing costs last year and had gathered around $220,000 in 2015. Lake County's government alleges the sheriff has the sole authority to direct how the towing is divided up. On the Porter County side of things, Portage Mayor James Snyder was alleged to have also accepted bribes from a towing firm that is said to have received a towing contract for the city of Portage in exchange for $12,000 that was paid for in two checks. Furthermore, Snyder was alleged to have accepted a $13,000 check in connection with Portage Board of Works contracts. And he's alleged to have obstructed and impeded personal taxes and payroll taxes from his mortgage business owed to the Internal Revenue Service. Both Bunsich and Snyder, as well as a few others believed to be linked to these accusations, were indicted shortly after. Up until now, both Bunsich and Snyder remain in their positions and haven't stepped aside. Mark, in his columns, and others in the public have said that the two should do so. We've implored them to resign. Uh, they are under federal indictment, that's true. They're uh, due their day in court, uh, so that's fair, and they're uh, presumed innocent until proven guilty or unless proven guilty. Uh, however, uh, whenever you have to fight a, a charge of this magnitude, you're dragging the public, uh, the taxpayers, your constituents, and the reputation of your office uh, through the whole thing as well. Uh, we just can't see how uh, someone can remain focused on the very important business of one being a chief county lawman or two being the chief executive of a city or town while also defending themselves against these types of federal charges. So uh, we believe it, it in everybody's best interest that they resign. The other more or less frustrating aspect about these things when they come up is that it doesn't feel like a new thing in Lake County or perhaps even Chicagoland for that matter. Northwest Indiana has a bit of a history where officials have been accused and convicted for corrupt actions. There's the old accounts from the construction of the West Calumet neighborhood in East Chicago, where the housing authority was alleged to have accepted bribes and kickbacks. Or the death of Henry Babe Lopez, a former East Chicago Park superintendent that was killed, but also did something suspicious with $900,000 given for park development. Or there's Katie Hall, a senator from Gary that helped push through legislation to make Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but who was alleged to have extorted campaign money from employees and pled guilty to mail fraud charges. And if you just want to look over the state line, there's the relatively recent example of former Illinois Governor Rob Lagojevich, who was accused of pay-to-play schemes, one of which 
involved filling former President Barack Obama's vacant seat. So all of this then gives the area a somewhat black mark in a way. Oh, it's, it's around here especially, it's just like, my gosh, have they not learned from the other people who have fallen before them? It's such a revolving door of elected officials around here and government officials of other kinds as well. The 99.9% of the crimes that we see in the courts are basically uh, people from underprivileged families who have little or nothing and uh, are involved in petty crimes. But here are people who are the pillars of their community, looked up to by many, uh, known by many, and uh, they turn out to have feet of clay and uh, it's always high drama as to uh, how things will turn out. Uh, will they, will they uh, beat the rap or uh, will they go down? So is there hope for Northwest Indiana? Or are we just condemned to our doom and gloom? Well, there are people working to help establish good practices, such as this person. Calvin Bellamy, a practicing attorney and president of the Shared Ethics Advisory Commission. The Shared Ethics Advisory Commission was started by Calvin and others in 2005 and has since made training and resources available to teach ethics and good decision-making to government workers. And And the thing that we decided we could do and should do before people holding, to, uh, holding people to an ethical standard, we ought to train them, ought to give them some precise training on what was expected. And so from then until now, uh, we have uh, developed uh, four different uh, programs uh, that we ask our trainers to present to their coworkers. And we do this... Um, uh, through a train-the-trainer approach. We, we ask each member community <clears throat> to send us two or three of their employees whom we train, uh, and then they take our materials and go back to the workplace, to the uh, municipal garage, the city hall, whatever it is uh, in that community, and, and train their coworkers. And we ask that every um, full-time employee be trained. There's quite a lot that the commission does. And there's loads of information available at sharedethics.com. Those that make up the commission are volunteers. And their programs range from, as Bellamy said, instructing department heads that take the info to their workers, an action pledge for candidates, and a code of ethics and values. Uh, we had 1,500 responses uh, to our recent survey. And the results indicate overwhelmingly of public employees uh, favor having and highly value ethics training, uh, and our uh, and we believe our training is effective because um, uh, they report that they know more about how to uh, report uh, ethical infractions. They understand better the procedures. Um, they even have more confidence in their leadership. The training is compulsory for workers in the towns or organizations that sign up with the commission. However, elected officials aren't beholden to them, but may volunteer to take part. Take Hobart, for example. The mayor there decided that it would be a good idea uh, for the council and the mayor and the judge and the, and the clerk to have their own training session by one of our trainers. So not only are the frontline employees in Hobart trained, so also uh, the elected officials. Now, all of this may seem kind of weak, 
kind of incomplete. Uh, but when you consider that every community is a little bit different and that we're just a group of volunteers, we would not be able to um, conduct enforcement hearings or make enforceable decisions. So uh, all of this requires an enthusiastic support by the elected leadership, whether they're taking the training or not. If they don't reinforce what we're saying, then then it, it's not going to be successful. Like Bill and Mark, Bellamy feels dismayed when these corruption cases come up. Well, as a citizen, of course, I'm always horrified when somebody violates the public trust. Why, why would you risk your whole life over a few thousand dollars, which many, many of our uh, cases, our criminal cases, seem to involve? But it's disheartening. And just when we think maybe things are under control, a new one pops out. And what about things at the state level? Hey, Kale, it's Greg Zeller. We managed to also get an interview with Greg Zeller, who, if the name isn't familiar among Hoosiers, is the former state attorney general. Now, he's still a practicing attorney. Well, I served as chief deputy under my uh, predecessor, Steve Carter. So during that period, there were a number of uh, cases involving public corruption in the region. Uh, I guess the most uh, notorious was the case that we filed against the city of East Chicago and Mayor Pastrick as the mayor uh, that challenged whether they were a corrupt organization for purposes of the RICO, the racketeering influence corrupt organization. So that kind of got me into both the AG office as well as the area of public corruption and what we later called the public integrity um, mission. So on the one hand, I want the public to know that we will vigorously pursue getting their taxpayer money back. So, uh, so we were very aggressive about it. And then I realized that the aggressiveness of the office might inadvertently make people think the worst of public employees, including, you know, I'm an elected official. So, uh, so I thought the, the public integrity unit was my effort to show that we do have a lot of people in government that are honest, they do their best every day, and that the efforts to collect money and to go after the bad actors was not just the attorney general in my office, but other elected officials who wanted to preserve their own integrity uh, and to at least give themselves kind of an opportunity uh, to support the efforts of the state uh, in working against the people who give us all a black mark. The Public Integrity Coalition that Zeller is a part of functions somewhat like what Calvin Bellamy described with the Shared Ethics Advisory Commission's model of training the trainer. It's made up of several members and or entities that take ethical guidelines, codes, and practices back to their respective areas. But the other component, as Zeller said, is trying to bolster the public's confidence in government workers. In his experience, he's dealt with cases in Northwest Indiana, 
So he's no stranger to that side of the region's reputation and feels that our area should expect better. You know, the history and almost the tradition of public corruption in Lake County, uh, you know, becomes almost legend. So when you do see new cases, it reinforces every bad uh, reputation, the, the bad reputation that exists. Uh, but I will say from my perspective that um, there's much less public corruption in Lake County than ever before. And they've made great strides in improving not just the, the processes, uh, but I think um, the people involved, the elected officials, and I'll, I'll cite Mayor Copeland from East Chicago as someone I've worked with uh, a lot and have come to trust that he uh, wants to do the right thing and he is careful to make sure that there's not public corruption on his watch. Uh, the, the people of the region really should expect more uh, out of their government. They shouldn't just think this business as usual when they read about some case of public corruption. But aside from officials or local workers, there's another faction here that plays a role in snuffing out public corruption. As you may know, dear listener, Byline takes a look at the role the newspaper shares in reporting on the topics featured on this podcast. The idea of holding leadership accountable for its actions is a pillar or cornerstone of journalism. It's the well-known watchdog role that brings images to mind of exposing things such as the Pentagon Papers or the Watergate scandal. It's in the newspaper's bones to serve information to the public and act as its agent to ensure the people the public trusts to lead it do so properly. Sure. From a commentary standpoint, I'll let Bill speak to it from a reporter's standpoint, but from a, a, a columnist's standpoint and an editorial writer's standpoint, uh, it's, it's the reason we're here. It's, it's to call these things out and to, uh, to tell the public what, what we think ought to be happening here, uh, you know, to, to question people's ability to continue to lead after they're under a federal indictment or after they've pleaded guilty or uh, to question the ability for somebody to lead and set an example for the community who's just admitted to battering his wife. These are all the types of things that somebody needs to step forward and say are wrong. A lot of people, I think, know these things are wrong, but a lot of people, because of politics and political agreements and political allegiances out in the community who are supposed to be leading, are loath to do so because of those allegiances. Maybe he's campaigned for you in the past. Maybe you've promised him something based on something he did for you. That all needs to be thrown out, and that starts with calls, I think, on our editorial pages. And from the reporter's point of view, there's a lot of people who feel all the politicians are crooks. And there's a lot of politicians who feel that they are being unfairly targeted for doing what politicians do anywhere. It's the reporter's job to kind of filter through all, both of those sides and, and determine, you know, who, who has in fact crossed the line and remind uh, our readers occasionally that uh, this has happened and, and may happen again if, uh, if the voters uh, don't take care uh, in the next election. Byline is a production of the Times of North Ossiniana. Episodes come out every two weeks and can be found at nwi.com slash podcasts. 
Byline is also on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can just type in NWI Byline in the search bar, and we should pop up. If you've got a media player and want to download our episodes or listen on the go, Byline is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We just kindly ask that you rate us and leave a review because it actually really helps. And we like to hear from you, whether that's constructive comments, feedback, or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear more about. You just drop an email to kale.wilk at nwi.com. Reporting for this week's episode came from Bill Dolan, Mark Chase, Joyce Russell, as well as myself, Kale Wilk. We'd like to thank Calvin Bellamy and Greg Zeller for taking time to be interviewed for this episode, too. Bill and Mark will continue to follow these stories as well as many other items, so you can follow them on Twitter for all the latest. Just search for NWI underscore B Dolan and NWI underscore Mark Chase. Credit for music production and mixing goes to the talented Dante Stewart. Last but not least, thank you to Summer Moore, the Times' digital and audience engagement editor, and Byline's creator. She's the task force leader that guides these operations. I'm Kale Wilk, and from the Times of Northwest Indiana, thank you for listening. See you next time.